it's Courtney and welcome back to Grow Through What You Go Through. I'm so excited that I had gotten so much positive feedback from friends and family and thank you again for giving me the input of what I needed. I definitely felt that I just wanted to do like a raw like intro to what I wanted to get to and I didn't really edit too much because I just wanted to see what could be done and also this is a learning process for me. So I appreciate all for bearing with me. I definitely will edit this one way better and I've got the volume up and I'll also learn how to do whatever it needs to be done for ads. Anyways, so reflecting off of the first episode about self-awareness, I thought it would be best to kind of go, at first I wanted to do like topic by topic, like that whatever comes up and I can get ideas and things like that, but I'm just going to go out of order and do what I feel like talking about. So coming off of self-awareness, I spoke very, I don't know what the right word is. I spoke a lot about anxiety. So I felt like that would be the best topic to start with too. And I felt that I could kind of talk about the definition, talk about the type, also some experiences of myself, my peers, my students, um, anyone that kind of pops into my mind when it comes to anxiety. So for beginners, my my version of the definition of anxiety is kind of worrying or being too nervous or feeling uneasy about something with an uncertain outcome. It definitely can pop up when you are younger, but I think that typically mental health issues stem when you like stem more when it comes from from teenager when you become like a teenager like 12 or 13 is typically where something starts so that's why it almost feels that it starts randomly in middle school and you look at me and working in the middle school right so I see a lot of versions of anxiety and things like that and there's different types but to begin with a thought I just want everyone to know that anxiety is actually very common not anxiety disorders but anxiety in general and what I mean by that is that there is a healthy version of anxiety for everybody. It kind of comes from our fight or flight mode, right? So what is meant by that is, for example, one of the craziest things that I had learned in grad school was about anxiety, uh, test anxiety, and how that is actually a normal version of anxiety because your body is reacting to something it's not used to and something that you know causes stress. Anxiety does stem from stress and everyone gets stressed out and that is why in moments of trauma or in moments of chaos or crisis we all feel either shaky or or hot or we're unable to speak. That is a normal form of anxiety. Or like say for example you get into a car accident that response is like the shock response and that stems from anxiety but that is not anything close to anxiety disorders. I wanted to make that clear because I thought it was very interesting when I first found out because everyone's like, oh, no, I got test anxiety and blah, 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 blah. And then they automatically think they have an anxiety disorder, but that is incorrect. So anxiety disorders, I'll kind of go into that too. And so one of the most typical is generalized anxiety disorder or GAD. And that's this is all I like to reference the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic manual for mental health disorders that us therapists and social workers have to kind of study when we're going through grad school. And in that definition of that particular disorder, it's the feeling of ease of everyday activities. 
um, depending on, you know, the different ones. And it could be not anything specific because that would be more so phobias. But for generalized anxiety is just the conscious, the conscious of noticing of anxiety or feeling anxious towards daily life activities, feeling that you're causing yourself to overthink about the little things, things that are not true or definitely things that you don't have control over. That's my synopsis of generalized anxiety disorder, and that is the typical diagnosis for those that are suffering from a specific anxiety. And then after that, social anxiety is another big one, and I think that social anxiety has become more uh, more common than not now after COVID. It definitely impacted people that there was, there was fear to come out of the house and to kind of go into public where there's large crowds. And we all kind of have a sense of that now because we're, we're nervous about getting sick, even though it, it just kind of became trauma for us in a way. And we kind of, even when we're, we want to feel like we're quote unquote back to normal, the stepping out is kind of difficult because of, you know, the shut off and the feeling comfortable within the home instead. And that one kind of is that all of a sudden your body, it, it tenses up when you get into a public setting or you're near a crowd or you're feeling uncomfortable if there's no friends around. It could, it could come in all different kinds of forms since everyone is different, but that's a common one too. Um, another one is panic disorder. Panic is a lot different than anxiety. And panic is more so in relation to it occurs so suddenly and it's unexpected. And it only lasts a few minutes and it's more intense than anxiety. You know, a, a generalized anxiety disorder, panic, and that kind of happens even though it's, it's a small amount of time, like a few-minute segment, it can happen numerous times in the day or it can happen numerous times weekly. And that is why it becomes a separate disorder because it's quicker than anxiety. You know, that one kind of stretches out. And then anxiety attacks are much different as well. But I'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, the last type of anxiety is a phobia-related disorder. That comes from like specific phobia, like the outdoors or the sun. If you've ever seen Ben Schwarmer, shout out to that movie because that's hilarious. However, how he really shows a specific phobia, it's going outdoors. Anywho, <laughs> another one would be you know driving in cars or airplanes or school or spiders or clowns, like very specific things that cause that anxiety trigger to go off. Um, yeah, so those are the common types and. Yeah, so those are the four main types of anxiety. Um, and the one that I experience mostly is definitely generalized anxiety. And now I'm going to kind of cut into where my anxiety started. And unfortunately, it goes back to third grade. Typically, anxiety develops more so within, you know, teenage years, and I'll speak more on that later. But... Mine was very noticeable when I was in third grade, which is approximately seven years old. My mom had mentioned that she, you know, there was like a day that she looked over and I was pulling out my eyelashes and my eyebrows. And she kind of she just was like, oh, my God, she doesn't have any <laughs> any hair on her face. What is going on? Um, she didn't notice until it got really bad. And then come to find out that was definitely due to stress, due to anxiety, but then there wasn't that much done for it. But when I was seven, I have vivid memories of when 
when my mom and my sister's dad started fighting, I had been, unfortunately, I had been exposed to things I shouldn't have been exposed to. Um, even before that, even before third grade, in first grade, one of my most vivid memories is, unfortunately, another woman in my mom's bed with my sister's dad, who I also called dad at the time. That's something that's always in the front of my brain, unfortunately. And I, I laugh at things like that now, but it's definitely like you know, those things stick with you. Anyways, she had stayed with him in order to keep our family together. She tells me a lot all the time about that. And I, you know, they they would be fighting more often than not when we all lived together. And I don't know if that was the only reason or maybe school on top of that. But that's when I started to rip out my eyelashes and my eyebrows. And my mom, she talks about this a lot. She goes, I just remember looking at you one day and you had no eyelashes. And I was concerned because I didn't know what that entailed or if they grew back and things like that. But it was almost... She had noticed it to be one of my nervous habits. Um, back in that time, I'm guessing like the early 2000s when I was in third grade and when I was seven, there wasn't much talk about mental health as there is now. There, you know, she probably didn't think about taking me to therapy or kind of going to the doctors about it. I, I, that would, I would have to ask her again. But I would assume that the most that I was seeing in, you know, within my household and then I also was raised by my aunt and uncle, mostly because my, me and my cousin were the same age. Shout out, Amber. But at their house, it was more strict than mine. So kind of going back and forth with the different types of parenting. Mine was very raw at home, and my mom was very nurturing in a way um, that she didn't discipline me. And then at my aunt's house, my cousin and I would get... I, Unfortunately, I would I would view it as more so punishment versus discipline, but we got a little bit of both. So I had confusion, and sometimes I even preferred the structure at my aunt and uncle's house. You know, offense to my mom, and my mom, you remember that my mom had me at 21 or 22, so she was a young mom. She was just getting to it, and it's hard, and I, and, you know, I, I can... I can give thanks to parents because I know it isn't an easy job. But unfortunately, I would like to say that my anxiety was overlooked and there wasn't much done for it. And that is where my little negative habits begun. You know, ripping out my eyelashes and my my eyebrows had led to ripping out my hair. And that's still something that I struggle with. It's one of my nervous habits now, opposed to the hair on my face or my eyelashes. It's my hair. I like I rip out split ends, or when I'm extra stressed out, I start ripping out a lot of hair. And I'm not embarrassed to say, like my friends notice. I I've been dealing like this has been one of my goals to stop doing that for the past ten years, and I still haven't accomplished it yet. But it's probably the safest in comparison to other things I could be doing. But you know, kind of going back to anxiety in the bracket term slash umbrella terms I was mentioning in in relation to the hair pulling and things like that. So the anxiety bracket, right? Underneath the anxiety bracket are stems of different forms of, of anxiety and the one that I relate to the most and the one that describes me is OCD. 
and that is obsessive compulsive disorder. Obsessive compulsive disorder can vary in, in so many different types underneath that too, but the one that specifically is for me is I need th- things to be exactly done before I go anywhere. I have more compulsions than I have obsessiveness, but it can become obsessive too. I don't go to the point, I, I, I know it's probably shown in movies and TV and when it's, when like people have to wash their hands a hundred times or they have to touch things before they leave anywhere, or if they step on a sidewalk, their mom's going to die. So they, they jump over the cracks and things, that kind of stuff. But mine breaks down even more. And I do, like, unfortunately, I do have obsessions with working out and eating healthy and getting things done before I go anywhere, kind of wrapping around my own time frame. Um, I'll make sure that I do what I have to do before I go anywhere. And that sounds maybe normal to some people, but mine is obsessive. Like, I even ask my friends, like, some of the things I do, you know, doing yoga or doing cardio and burpees on vacation in the room near them can be very stressful <laughs> and, and, and sometimes I think it's healthy but sometimes it's not like it is okay to skip days <laughs> but anyways so underneath that OCD quote-unquote bracket umbrella is trichotillomania which is the ripping out of hair um, it is an obsessive compulsive issue and it's an anxiety issue. It's something I do when I'm stressed, and I do it more so when I'm stressed, but I also do it for leisure and comfort because it's something that I always relied on, you know, since I was seven. And that was kind of, that was hard for me to notice, and I tried to end it, but then I also noticed that it wasn't, I would say that it, it it's not as bad as the other things that teenagers are getting into now, which is self-harm, and whatnot, but it's still, it doesn't make me feel good. It really does mess up my self-esteem with how my hair looks, and it's a lot of dead. However, it's more healthy than it was before, so I will note that. Another bracket that's really difficult for me, and I'll have to go into in a different uh, different episode, is eating disorders. Eating disorders also falls underneath the obsessive-compulsive disorder bracket underneath anxiety. So those are, those are the top ones that I deal with daily and that I'm, I haven't really recovered from. Um, in my personal opinion, anything can become an addiction. Anything can become a habit, negative or positive. And in the circle of change, there's relapse at the end of it. And it kind of restarts and it becomes easier and easier. But there's still going to be moments that you deal with, you know, the OCD or the anxiety in it, but it's kind of how you input different things that could help you make it easier or make it go away more than it, you had before. So that was a little background knowledge on myself and what are the big things that pop out for me when it comes to my anxiety. And then, obviously, referencing back to my spirals, those are a big thing as well, and the overthinking, which also brackets underneath. I would say that out of all the things that I experience with an anxiety, my overthinking is probably the worst part, and that is the one thing I promise to focus on this year specifically within therapy and for my my self-help journey is really tackling overthinking. I will create chaos in my brain, true or false, or like pieces of truth, I'll create 
you know, narratives that aren't true just to stay in the chaos that I'm used to. It was really hard for me to admit to that within therapy, and it was also hard to admit to myself that I do that. And, you know, not blaming my childhood, but a lot of, I mean, I'm going to say this throughout this podcast a billion gazillion times, but the way, like, biologically, you know, in the environment, like, (laughs) biology and environmental versions of what you're exposed to in the creation of anxiety can amplify because of what you've been through internally, externally, all of the above. And a lot of it does stem from childhood. That's why, unfortunately, like TV and movies, they make fun of psychotherapy because, oh, is that how your mother had treated you? Or is that how your dad had treated you? And they try to make it funny when it's the actual truth. Because if you look within, we see, you know, that's where the saying, like, monkey see, monkey do. Like, you're literally raised in that situation. You're going to become that situation until you realize you have to undo it. And I will stand on that hill, and I will not change my mind about it, so don't ask me to. I can look at different perspectives, but nope, it all comes from childhood and the relationships and attachments that you had from the beginning. So, ah. Anyways, back to my overthinking. So overthinking for me in those spirals that I kind of go through, <clears throat> that was for you, Mariah, clearing my throat, and not. I'm not going to edit it out, but hopefully it's at a normal volume. And... <laughs> I kind of, in the chaos that I've always noticed, and I'm not blaming my mom, but because she was so young and because I had witnessed my sister's dad being unfaithful and not being the best version of himself in front of me, there was always constant chaos. There was no cars or there was, you know, like this, or something was going on with our apartments that we lived in always something and some and then there was like back and forth I moved to so many different schools I lived with my grandmother numerous times just like the in and out the loss of my grandfather the loss of my biological or I wouldn't even say it was the loss of my biological dad but that's another story but I didn't have him my sister's dad wasn't great all the time the different the different um living situations the different schools and people like to say that kids are resilient but I would have to disagree with that. Actually, trauma can be developed in things can that kids are exposed to, even from very early age, will be absorbed. And I wanted to debunk that myth that kids are resilient, they can get through it, they won't remember, they will. And it's unfortunate that parents, you know, just brush off things or they forget that their kids will remember that and try to brush it off as they go, but it is better to own up to your mistakes and help your kids get through what they were exposed to as quick as possible, or else this is going to stick to them, and here we go. This, the, the snowball will go, just like it did for me. And again, no no blaming, just, just sharing my truth. And unfortunately, that has followed me to having the overthinking spirals and putting myself back into the chaos that I'm used to, even if it involves harming myself, it's almost that I'm used to being sad or I'm feel or feeling that pit in my stomach. I always want to create it, even if it's not there. And then I will take it out on other people. I will blame them. And I, you know, I've unfortunately have been categorized as crazy or I've been called crazy. And I really had to separate that term from myself because it's not myself that's crazy.
crazy. It's my anxiety that's crazy. And I always like to remove the mental health issue from who I am because it isn't me all the time. There are so much, there's so much time that I am normal, that, and I don't like to use the word normal either, but that I am myself and that I feel comfortable and confident and happy and sunshiny. I know people allude to me as sunshine or just silly and goofy, but those times are tough. You know, when I can't control my anxiety, I've, I've had to, a lot of the time, I do just want to spiral and see if somebody will take care of me because I never, my anxiety had never been taken care of. And I had tried to put it on other people to take care of it for me. And that and that kind of unfortunately led to me blowing up people's phones or spiraling out of control in front of them and they didn't know what to do because not everybody has to learn how to take care of you. You have to do that. And that took until this year for me to grasp that I'm not going to find that in someone else and I'm going to have to control it myself or I will not have healthy relationships and I will be titled, you know, I will be called crazy. And trust me, it is hurtful. That Words do hurt and because when it's said, I know that it's true. The way that I talk, the way that I text, the way that I say things when I'm in a spiral, when I reread them, I wouldn't even be friends with myself. That's really hard for me to say, but I actually did have a breakdown a few months ago with my, my best friend and Basically, basically, they're my sisters, my best friend and her sister. They're like my sisters. And I was sobbing while rollerblading because I reread my, my most current spiral that I had sent to someone that I was trying to talk to or be with. And they looked me dead in my face and said, I would have blocked you. And I started sobbing even harder because I acknowledged that I would have blocked me too. So as much as that, you know, that guy wasn't perfect either, I, I still have respect for him because he he had empathy and compassion for me or else he would have kicked me to the curb. He didn't owe me anything, and he still allowed me that space to talk and was okay with saying it was okay the next day. Even, if he, even though I later on heard that he was indeed calling me crazy and talking to other people, he didn't say it to me directly, and I, I appreciate that that he created that space to let me <laughs> be the way that I was. And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and ah, I hate, I hate these, these vulnerable moments of feeling like crap because of, like, rereading that kind of stuff and seeing what wrongs I had done in experiences when I would blame the other person. But it was indeed myself. I did not help the case. Nobody's perfect. He wasn't great all the time but I definitely influenced the way that it had went down so shout out to him for still being good to me <laughs> um <laughs> anyway you know I can kind of go on tangents forever and ever but for right now what has been helping me specifically with my overthinking is thought stopping that's one of the coping skills that I use you know when I you know I'm like stop you're making this negative when it doesn't need to be. Removing myself and kind of looking overhead to the anxiety. Like, what is bringing it on? What had triggered me? What I can, you know, what what I can ask myself to see if it's true. Is it valid? Is it reasonable? Is it factual? And that's, that's 
one of those strategies is CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. However, my therapist doesn't like it for me because um, I am very, my anxiety is very crazy. And I will start to make everything factual. Well, because I'm like, well, it can be. It sure could be. Oh, they're not texting me because they're with somebody else. I'm going to convince myself that that's true. So she told me that's not healthy for me. But I do stop my thoughts and I say, hey, what you, like you can't control what you, you can't control. And that's the easiest part to remember. I can't make people like me. I can't make people make me feel better. I have to make myself feel better. So in those moments, I stop my thoughts and I just find another thing that's distracting. I go for a run. I talk to my friends. I text it out. I journal. I walk away from the situation now. I type it in my notes or I'll text it to my friends. And I always ask, like, boundary setting, like, hey, can I just write this out so I don't text that person or I don't flip out or I don't send myself into sickness because of overthinking. And I have learned this just in the past four months, like January to now, in that in, in, in a way I wish that I had utilized my strategies quicker and earlier on in life when I literally have been teaching them to other people and I couldn't take my own advice. And I didn't listen to my friends when I should have because they, they, they saw that within me. And I'm such a bubbly, fun, loving person. I have so much love to give. But that dark side, man, like, it is probably very upsetting for the people in my life to see it, my mom. And when they say, like, Courtney, you have to deal with that yourself, it has been difficult for me because I didn't want to go within but I don't deserve to be in that negative headspace. I don't deserve to put myself down. I don't deserve to take it out on people and expect them to take care of me. That's just really, very silly. They're not, they're not, that's not their job. And I shouldn't depend on them. And it took me a lot to say, yep, I wanted them to take care of me the way that I wasn't taken care of. And that was very hard for me because, you know, like looking from the outside in and seeing versions of that through children, again, middle schoolers that I'm, seeing react in in relationships the way that I had and even adults that are near my age doing the same thing to my friends and it's embarrassing and and I feel bad it's embarrassing for me I don't want to I don't want to put it on them that it's embarrassing for them to do because we all go through our journeys at a different time but it is very embarrassing that I had exposed my quote-unquote crazy anxiety to so many people and they had no idea what was going on However, a lot of them didn't take the time to get to know what was going on. So that's on them, and they should be better people and be more empathetic and compassionate. All right, so enough of me. I'll definitely go into more more episodes about, like, specific things like OCD and eating disorders, and those will be tw- trigger warning content because that's very difficult for me to speak about, and it was very difficult for people to hear about. However, I kind of want to allude to current situations with my students. So, because I like to do the comparison of me as the adult and also witnessing how I work with kids that are going through similar situations or are in that mist of where my anxiety had developed at that age, 12, 13, and seeing them at, you know, like 10 through 14 also in the midst of developing anxiety and trying to block it and teach them the strat- these strategies that I wish somebody would have shared with me at that age, seeing if that could be preventable to their future that can help them in the long run. And what I definitely notice is that nature versus nurture is kicking their ass 
excuse my language, definitely kicking their ass because no matter what, unfortunately, shout out, I'm sorry, parents, but you're going to lose at some points. You can't win them all. You can't fix it all for them. You have to let them kind of endure things on their own. However, a lot of it is environmental and it comes from home and or the things that they're exposed to at school you know like if they're surrounded by peers that have crappy home lives or they are the ones that have crappy home lives they're going to develop anxiety and depression and another thing is that if it's biological again parents I am so sorry but at this age it will just pop out of nowhere and you probably won't know what to do and it is okay to you know connect with counselors and therapists and social workers to ask for help and you know I get I get these little you know, like I just feel so good in my heart when parents call me and say, what do I do? One of the best things that I've heard from parents we know, like specifically with like first teenagers are like, oh my God, like what do I do? I've never, I don't understand it. What is going on? And it, and those parents are being vulnerable to me. They're coming to a professional to help guide them because they're not, they're noticing that no one's perfect and they're not perfect either. And it is okay to ask for help. And you know what? Some of my suggestions won't work for their kid, but some of them will. And we can work together. And those are my favorite interactions. You know, it takes a village. I love emailing parents and I love calling them and keeping them updated and looking out for their kid because I'm spending just as much time with their kid as they are. And I see things and I hear things and I'm so vulnerable and open with both parents and kids. I tell the kids when I'm going to call their parent or or when I'm going to confront them, I tell the parent like, hey, I'm going to confront your kiddo on this. Like, look out. And I've seen a, a, you know, a steady incline of anxiety because of COVID and these kids are messed up. Those, the, <laughs> the development level that they're at right now, I feel so bad. Their social skills, their inability to regulate their emotions. And then, you know, like the adults in their life are like, oh my God, why can't these kids be nice to each other? Or, oh my God, why can't they sit still? They're freaking kids. I'm sorry. They are kids. They shouldn't, they don't know how to sit there. And plus they've, all missed out on two years of their development. How do you expect kids that, for example, like my sixth graders, they were in third grade when COVID hit. So third and fourth grade, they were at home. Those are peak moments of play. Those are peak moments of social skills. Those are peak moments of movement. And then all of a sudden they're in sixth grade and you're telling them to sit down for 40 minutes at a time. Yeah, okay. And you wonder why they're going to the bathroom or they're poking each other, being weirdos or in – and whatever's happening in America right now, that, that there's no play, that there's no recess really grinds my gears. And I know it's not, you know, like it's all school districts and that makes no sense to me either. Play is important. Interactions are important. Dealing with their emotions, talking about emotions, taking time to get to know your students, understanding where they're coming from, you know, and that goes at home too. Like the things that we are talking about in school should be talked to to the kids at home. If I'm over here being the social worker talking to them about how to regulate their emotions or, and if I'm giving them the suggestion to go take a walk, why are they being told to go back to their classes? Or if, if they're not disturbing anybody, why does it matter that they're walking in the hallway? Or if I'm telling a kiddo when they're mad of saying it, of verbalizing it to a parent and going to their room, why does that adult have to chase after them and continue the, com- the, the argument when their kid is not okay? Those are strategies that we all should learn adults as well. I can leave the room. I can go take a walk. I can walk away and say, hey, I can, I'm going to come back to the situation or I'm going to hang up the phone call if you continue to talk to me like that. How come it's okay to, for adults to do it but not kids? 
they're trying to learn how to be adults in the future and it's going to take some time these are young kids they don't know how to properly do it they're going to mess up and I tell them every day and I I can't even count on my hands how many times I repeat messages and ideas to kids they're going to take time to learn it I've been in this field for approximately like five-ish years and what did I just say a few minutes ago I am just confronting my own work and regulating my own emotions. I am dealing with things that had to be repeated to me from my friends, from my family for 10 plus years. So what do you mean that these kids should get it like that? That's not fair. And that could go and and we should work together, myself, the teachers, the parents, and help them through this tough time and not make them feel bad for anxiety. And yes, we're not stupid. Us social workers and therapists are not stupid. Kids are manipulative. They probably are coming to see us more often than they should because, but guess what? They feel safe and they want to be there opposed to and in a place where they feel unwanted or they're going to get ridiculed. And I'm always going to be team kid. I'm not stupid. I know they're going to lie to me and I know that they're going to lie how to get to class. I know they're going to lie to say they're going to the bathroom and they're going to pop in. And I know they're going to miss content in your classes or they're going to miss or they're going to come home and say, Miss Smith said, I'm not stupid. And I hope that we all can agree that not everything is 100% true that comes home or that is said in the classroom or in <laughs> at home and that we can all kind of work together and not point blame and just, you know, come together and ask each other for help. How can we help each other? How can we get through? And, I'll, you know, like I would always I would always want to. I would always want to, you know, look out for the kid as well as the adult in the equation, and I just want to be helpful. I want to be there for people when they need me. I want to be able to come up with things that could work for all of us and for one, you know, each other. Not one size fits all with coping skills, but I'm willing to to get to know you, get to know the kid, and give you things and suggestions that could actually be useful. Um, But yeah, speaking of coping skills, I'm going to go into ones that are, you know, a little bit useful for me and ones that are good for the kiddos. Um, But we're going to start with... Um, Ones that I mentioned early on for myself include exercise. Um, Exercise has been a really huge outlet for me, especially running. Um, A lot of people make fun of me, but the running, the running high that I get after I go from directly from work to working out, and it's been so special to me. Um, I kind of feel like I'm running off the day, um, running, getting rid of the the hurt, the sadness that these kids are going through. And one of the biggest facts that I had learned was that 30 minutes of exercise is equivalent to one, I think it's 10 milligrams of a don't quote me exactly but it's 10 milligrams of an antidepressant it gives us the same hormone or not the hormones on the same chemicals that oxytocin gives us or adrenaline and it kind of you know helps our mental state and so do hugs um and talking to people another thing that i do is i i like to call it my aa sponsor um, I, uh, I have like specific friends that I reach out to when I'm going through a hard day. I say, Hey, can I vent to you? Hey, can I talk to you? Or I call my mom. They're like my sponsors that keep me regulated, that let me vent it out until that I have therapy again. And the number one 
strategy that I like to recommend for everybody, including kids, adults, every every single person in this universe should have their therapist. Um, like I had mentioned in the last episode, my favorite professor at uh, the grad school that I had went to, she her first day of class, she reminded us that the best strategy for someone working in the field is to also have a therapist for themselves. And I had taken that I didn't take that lightly. Like, I, I got a therapist right away, and it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I'm going to shout her out in every episode, I bet. <laughs> but, yeah, therapy for all. I think when a person is born, they should automatically be assigned a therapist. I'm not going to lie. Like, I really do. I feel that, that that would be beneficial for everybody in working through the hardest parts of ourselves. Um, another strategy is I definitely commit to hobbies, including I play guitar, I do puzzles with my friends, and that is is such a mindful activity. Your brain is so focused on the puzzle, and and it's been a new hobby that my friend group and I have been getting into. And just sitting together, and you know, we there's moments of silence because we're so focused on the part that we're working on, and, and it's it's just bliss. It's definitely something that's the best form of distraction. We're with each other, we have company, and we're working on something together, and I think it's lovely. Um, I definitely go for walks. I definitely go rollerblading. I, but the most important ones that I had just mentioned, you know, journaling. Journaling has been so helpful. If I can't talk to somebody themselves or if I don't want to, because there's days that we don't want to talk to somebody and, you know, writing it out can help us problem solve in the moment. As for kids, I definitely like the strategies of allowing them to move. There's definitely... There's breathing exercises, there's there's movement exercises, there's grounding, there's there's meditation in forms for kids to kind of ground themselves to where they're at to help stop their spirals in their brain or that they want to run or that they want to get angry. Movement is the key. So if you're thinking about, if you're seeing your class is agitated or stressed, I can almost guarantee that they're not listening to the lesson at that moment. They probably need to go for a walk or they need to go out in the sun um, or just taking like a, t- a five-minute break to stretch or talk about something. Hey, I've noticed you guys are kind of in a weird mood today. Do you want to take a you know five-minute brain break, do some exercises, like make it a little game, and then they regulate back to their seat probably just fine. Um, other things that I like to see for kids is that one of the best strategies is journaling, but guess what they use? They use their TikTok. They kind of do it you know verbally or they type it in their phone notes. Um, I've kind of, quote-unquote, trained a lot of my students to write in their notes at night opposed to texting, and they can come vent it out to me, and it has worked for them. Um, Journaling for them, blogging, TikToking, and I tell them to save it in their drafts. I do not want them posting angry or hurtful TikToks to offend anybody or themselves or their parents. Um, You know, opening the space for them to come talk to you, having a, a select adult that they feel safe with, um, definitely exercise for them. Sports are the best thing that happens to kids. Sports and music and all the things that you can suggest to kids, they'll, they'll take it. They really value our opinion. They value our help, and they want to try the suggestions just as much as we want to offer them. But definitely therapy is the top coping skill that I want to give out, and I, I really want to, I want that to be supported in, in places that, you know, school and home, that these kids go to every day and just creating that space of safety, whether it's us or if it's somebody if they need additional support. 
Anyways, I will probably have an entire podcast in, in relation to coping skills, and I can break them down, you know, mindfulness, CBT, DBT, all the fun words that we utilize in in therapy or when we're social working out there. And I would love the suggestions that come from you guys of what you use. So definitely comment. Definitely reach out to me. Say, hey, I would love to hear more about this. I appreciate the feedback, and I want you guys to be in this with me. Anyways, thank you, thank you, thank you for another listen, and I hope that this episode is way better edited, and I hope it's way better volume-wise, and hopefully I find out ways that I can put ads into it so that it doesn't sound so silly. Again, this is Grow Through What You Go Through, and I appreciate all of you. Thanks.